You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, So last week was fun. There was a real party in my mentions. First up, I was one of the listed authors of a new study about gay couples and cuckolding, a study published in an academic journal that wound up being covered by CNN. The right wing blew a gasket about this study. I have a theory. Cuckolding makes conservatives uncomfortable because, as other studies have shown, politically conservative types tend to be more interested and aroused by cuckolding. Which makes sense if you think about it for a second, and of course thinking about things even for a second, not something conservatives are very good at, makes sense because conservatives tend to be more quote-unquote conservative about marriage, and worse at it, as divorce and out-of-wedlock birth stats demonstrate. They also tend to be more quote-unquote conservative about racial issues, cough, cough, more racist, cough, and kinks. What are kinks about? They're about transgression and violating taboos. So yeah, violating the taboo against adultery is going to be hotter for conservatives on average. And you basically have to regard interracial sex as taboo before you can fetishize transgressing or violating that taboo. Anyway, the study, the psychology of gay men's cuckolding fantasies, doesn't promote cuckolding, gay or otherwise. It simply notes that the thing is happening, asks why the thing is happening, and tries to determine if the thing that's happening is a positive thing or a negative thing for the couples involved. You can read it, if you care to, at the Archives of Sexual Behavior. Also last week, also blowing up my mentions, apparently a grade school in California thought it would be a good idea to put up a bulletin board about gender diversity and sexual orientation. And that is a good idea. Queer kids exist, and gender nonconforming kids exist. Queer adults don't magically appear fully formed on floats at the gay pride parade when we're 21 years old. Gender expression is diverse, and that's a message little kids, grade school age kids, need to hear. Because some of them are gender nonconforming, and the bullying of gender nonconforming kids, most of whom will grow up to be gay, many of whom will grow up to be trans, that shit starts as early as first grade. Earlier. Anyway, the bulletin board, good idea. But it featured a quote from me. A quote that made roughly the same point I just did about bullying uh, gender nonconforming kids. That didn't sit well with right wing talking head case Hud Starnes. He's a contributor to Fox News and he has his own radio show. Making radio great again, Todd Starnes. Before we listen in, personally, me, myself, I like to think I'm a little too edgy for grade school bulletin board presentations. So while I appreciate the impulse to put up the bulletin board, and do what they can at this grade school to make it a safer place for queer kids, I probably myself would have left me out of it. Anyway, let's hear what Todd's caller, a concerned parent, had to say. Good morning from California. How are you, Todd? Well, I'm doing well, and and I really appreciate you um, going on the record here and and telling us about about what's happening. Uh, so take us through uh, the the billboard um, that 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 you saw there at Rancho Romero Elementary School. Okay, wait. It's a bulletin board in a school hallway, not a billboard along a highway. The board said, "Who are you?" Question mark. With okay, we have four year old and eleven year old 
through 11 at our school. And I don't know about you, but who are you was not something that I could even answer at that age. I was more concerned with having fun and just learning. Um, in fact, you know, learning about who you are doesn't really happen probably until you get through college. <laughs> All right, wait just a second. Really? People don't know who they are until they get through college? Don't know who they're attracted to, what gender they are. That should come as news to most lesbian, gay, bi, and trans folks, almost all of whom knew who they were long before getting to college. And it would come as news to most straight people, too, wouldn't it? Don't you guys know who you are before you get to college? Now I want to I, I want to bring up another component of this. One of the uh, one of the pictures on this bulletin board is uh, is of Dan Savage, who is a a nationally syndicated sex columnist. Uh, he also runs a a porn festival, and there there's a quote from him on this page. They're 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 glorifying this guy as the, a role model. He was put up as a sort of like a role model would be with a quote like if you would set up Martin Luther King, who is a Clearly a great role model. This guy, if you do a quick online search, I had no idea who he was. But in a one-minute search, I found out he was a throws this annual pornography contest called Hom. He does despicable things to anyone he dislikes, and he dislikes anyone who's religious. He makes that very clear, and he hates conservatives. In our schools, I would say over half of the parents and the family families there are conservative families. Um, but nobody approved, clearly nobody approved this person, um, or looked into him or if they, if they didn't look into him, then it was and put purposely, that would be really bad. But he is uh, a known pornographer. He has made quotes that said there's good uh, pedophilia <laughs> with, so one of my transgender friends told me he's known, he's a known pedophile to the transgender community. So having him up there for a child's role model was just disgusting to us. We couldn't even believe it. Well, we now I, I'll have to now I want to step in and say I have not been been able to independently verify that part of of the allegations surrounding Mr. Savage. Starnes notes in the program that he didn't identify this parent because so much hate and vitriol from the left and he didn't want this parent targeted for hate and vitriol. And of course there's nothing hateful or vitriolic about accusing someone of being a pedophile or making excuses for pedophilia. Anyway, for the record, I don't hate religious people. I hate religious hypocrites. And I don't hate conservatives either, even though they are wrong about and in charge of right now everything. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this woman doesn't have transgender friends. But I got to address Todd Starn's weasel words there. Someone comes on his show and accuses me of being a known pedophile and he breaks in to say that he hasn't been able to independently verify the charge. So it's unsubstantiated as of this moment, at least so far as Todd Starnes personally is concerned. The implication is clear. Starnes is saying that, yeah, maybe Dan Savage is a pedophile. Someone out there has the evidence, but we haven't independently verified it yet. But I can't, Todd Starnes, come out and say that or let you say it without interjecting here because I don't want to get sued. But I'm going to let you say it on my radio show twice. This is how the right wing pushes a smear campaign and moves it up the media food chain. People are saying the question is being asked. Someone said on my radio show, but we haven't independently verified to be on the receiving end of. Oh, uh, 
we installed phones here at the Lovecast as an experiment to see if we could start taking live calls. And it looks like we're getting our first live call. Let's take a quick break from the top of the show rant and take a call. Hello, caller. You are on the air. Hello. Yes, caller. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Am I, am I on the air? You are. Oh, thank you. I was listening to you talk about Todd Starnes, and I was calling in to say that a friend of mine told me that Todd Starnes is known in the Christian community for filleting kids. I have to break in here and say that these charges have not been substantiated. I have not been able to independently verify that Todd Starnes fillets children. Not children, baby goats. Todd Starnes fillets baby goats. It's apparently well known among conservative Christian pet goat enthusiasts. The man just can't resist baby goat penis. He sees a baby goat, and before you know it, that goat's on its back, and Todd is going to town. What's, what's the expression? It's like he's asphyxiating, and there's oxygen in those tiny baby goat balls. The man's a notorious goat filator. That's what my friend said. Well, that's very interesting, caller, but I haven't substantiated it. This has not been independently verified. He also leaves Snackwell cookies in urinals at Fox News Studios and then comes back later to nibble on them. Again, not substantiated. Todd Starnes performs recreational colonoscopy. Not independently verified. Todd Starnes regularly masturbates to mental images of Rush Limbaugh titty-fucking Steve Bannon. I don't know how you would even go about verifying that. Before he started filleting baby goats, Todd Starnes uh, used to... Uh, okay, caller, caller, thank you, but we're going to have to go. Oh, Looks like we are out of time for the top of the show rant, so we're going to have to get right to your calls. But to be clear, Todd Starnes may be a goat-filleting, urine-soaked, snack-well, cookie-nibbling, recreational colonoscopy-performing, Limbaugh-on-Bannon, titty-fuck-scene-fantasizing pervert, but those allegations, as of yet, have not been substantiated or independently verified by me personally. All right, let's get to the calls. Hey, Dan, this is Sarah, I had a question about my boyfriend and I moving in together. It's only been about a month and a half, but my family's for it and my friends aren't. I would just like to hear what you have to say about people moving in together. Oh yeah, we're both 28. I'm going to have to side with your friends on this one, under the assumption that your friends have spent more time with you and your boyfriend than your family. Theoretically, you're hanging out, you're with your boyfriend, you're not with your aunt, you're not with your mom, probably not with your siblings, you're with your friends. So your friends have seen you two together, your friends see how you interact, your friends probably have a better read on this relationship at 1.5 months right now than your family does, but also that you do, because you are still in the love is blind stage. I'm not saying it's a toxic relationship, I'm not saying he's an asshole, I'm not saying you shouldn't move in with him eventually, but 1.5 months, even if everything was great and your friends loved him and they were on the same side that your family's on, it's too soon. Do not move in with someone that you have known for six weeks. As a general rule, don't do it. That feeling you have right now, oh, I want to be with this person all the time. I want to live with this person. I want to know how this person smells in the morning and familiarize myself with their farts and burps. That feeling, if you still have that feeling a year from now, that's when you move in. You can't trust that feeling at 1.5 months. That feeling has led many people to make premature commitments. It is easy to get your name on a lease. It is easy to marry in haste. Extricating yourself from a relationship when you have signed a lease together or moved in together too soon or gotten married during the infatuation stage is a lot fucking harder. Don't do it. Disregard what your family is telling you. 
listen to your friends and you can count me among your friends and I am telling you what they're telling you. It is too soon. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm a fan of your show and my boyfriend doesn't know you at all. But me and him have a problem and I am here to hand the phone to him to tell you what this problem is. Please solve it. Okay, hi. So my girlfriend and I have been together for about eight months or so. Whenever we have sex, she like doesn't enjoy it at all. And like, I don't know if it's like something I'm doing or or what the deal is, but it makes me feel kind of shitty of to be honest about myself and i know that in the past other guys have you know done it for and i'm like i don't know what else to do like i don't know how to solve the problem i don't know how to you know actually like make her feel good and i know it's possible because other people have so i mean she says she doesn't know her own body but i mean i don't know yeah only five guys out of many guys have done it for i don't know what else to do i uh, any help would be appreciated. I wish you'd left a callback number because I have a question. When your girlfriend, hi girlfriend, when your girlfriend says that she doesn't enjoy sex with you at all, which is kind of a huge and scary thing to say to someone, what does she mean by that? Does she mean that sex with you is unpleasant, physically uncomfortable, uh, emotionally traumatizing, or does she mean that sex with you She's not coming. She's not climaxing during sex with you. And is she defining not climaxing as not enjoying and then adding at all at the end there? Is she telling you that there are no pleasurable sensations? The intimacy, the touch, whatever else you're doing, the intercourse that you're having, none of it is pleasant. None of it is enjoyable. It is all a fucking sex shit show so far as she's concerned when she has sex with you. If that's the case, I don't understand why she's still with you. If that's not the case, if it's just that she's not coming with you, she needs to give you a little bit more information. She needs to walk you through what works for her instead of just saying, hi, girlfriend. You can't just say, there were these five other guys. They knew what they, they knew how to make me come. What's wrong with you? You need to give him more info. You need to draw him a map. And you can't draw him that map or give him that info if you don't know your own way around your own genitalia. So my question for you, girlfriend, is do you masturbate? Can you make yourself come? If so, masturbate in front of your boyfriend. Show him how it works. Show him what your arousal patterns, habits, plateaus, your point of orgasmic inevitability. Show him what all of that looks like and guide him through it. What you're doing right now to your boyfriend is a little unfair. You're saying... You're bad at sex and that's it. You're bad at sex. Sex with you is terrible. I don't enjoy it at all. Now fix that. Get to work on that. What you're saying to your boyfriend right now is not helpful. It's not constructive. You aren't giving him the tools that he needs to get you to a place where sex is enjoyable in some way or he's getting you off. He's making you come. So you two need to start talking to each other. Really, the girlfriend, you need to start talking to him. And I challenge you, if you can't make yourself come, and a lot of women out there don't masturbate. They arrive at partner in sex never having gotten themselves off and they look at some usually young man and they go, all right, make me come. It's all on you. And if you can't make me come, then ah, you're doing it wrong or sex with you doesn't work. And guys don't arrive at partner in sex not knowing how they're dicks work, not knowing how exactly what they need 
to, to, to get off because guys are encouraged to, are socialized to, feel entitled to, self-pleasure, to masturbate, and women are not encouraged to do the same. Women are slut-shamed. Women pick up a lot of societal cues about their genitalia being gross or disgusting, and then feel as entitled to pleasure. And sex education often centers, as they say, male pleasure and doesn't even mention female pleasure. So you have young women who go through shitty sex education, even what a lot of liberals and progressives regard as comprehensive sex education, that talks about birth control, that talks about reproduction, but doesn't talk about pleasure. So a lot of women move through sex ed without ever hearing that sex is supposed to feel good for them too. And that solo sex, masturbation is for them too. And they arrive at partnered sex and the dude can't do it for them. And they think there's something wrong with the dude. And maybe there is something wrong with the dude, but you can make that dude better. If you can show him what he needs to do, what works for you, but you can't show him what works for you and what you need him to do. If you don't know what those things are, if you don't know what works for you. So girlfriend caller masturbate in front of him. If you don't masturbate, start masturbating. Boyfriend, don't have sex with her for right now. Take intercourse off the menu. If what you're doing is not pleasurable for her at all, stop doing all of it. Your assignment as a couple is you're going to spend the next month, if indeed you want to continue to see each other, not having intercourse, not having oral sex, just being intimate, just laying with each other, just touching each other, and then masturbating together. Mutual masturbation. Learn how her genitals work. Learn what works for her. Show her what works for you. Dirty talk with each other. Really connect with your brains while you stimulate your genitals and each other's genitals with your hands. And perhaps a vibrator. But for right now, this intercourse that you're having that isn't pleasurable for her at all and that you're on the rack about, boyfriend... Yeah, stop doing Doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do that. Stop doing that. Dan, Dan, the sex is awful. Stop having that awful sex. Back way the fuck up. Masturbate. Hey, Dan. I am a 29-year-old bi male from Idaho. I am in a relationship with the most beautiful uh, 33-year-old woman that I've ever met. Uh, we have the best sexual life, the best sex chemistry, Pretty much everything is amazing in the relationship except for one thing. Uh, she's had a really traumatic past that I won't get into in too much detail, but a lot of male violence, sexual violence, and uh, these random insecurities spring up from what, what our doctors consider extreme post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't know, uh, some advanced version of PTSD. And... Uh, she ends up going into emotional outbursts about just random stuff and the arguments get to a point where it's damn near violent. Uh, I mean, I, she's small and I'm a, a larger male, a, a normal sized guy. And so she can't really hurt me. She'll end up getting kind of violent. And there have been times where I've tried to just get out of the apartment and it's, I've ended up knocking her over. I start to feel like I'm abusive. And that has always been a giant fear of mine. I've never wanted to be that, that guy. And so I guess um, I, we're in a BDSM relationship, and so it makes it even more complicated, starting to kind of feel abusive or something like that. Um, and again, that, that's my worst fear. I never want to be that person. And we uh, almost broke up just recently because, well, she 
went into a fit of rage and things happened. And I just, I felt like what she did was unacceptable. And I, even though I love everything about her, everything about our relationship, I'm thinking about ending it still. And I don't know if not breaking up was a good decision. Tell me what you guys think. I think you're in an abusive relationship. There is a pattern here of escalating violence that is only going to get worse over time. Like a lot of people in abusive relationships, you look at the other things about your relationship and it all seems wonderful. Great sex, shared interests, shared passions, shared friends. Everything's wonderful, except at semi-regular intervals that seem to be coming closer together, my partner flies into a rage and becomes physically violent. If the genders were reversed, if you were a woman calling and describing everything that you've unpacked in your relationship, no one would hesitate to tell you that your partner is an abuser and you need to get out. But because it's a BDSM relationship, because you're the male, because you're bigger than she is, doesn't make it not an abusive relationship. Doesn't make you not the victim. And there are additional ways in which you could be victimized in this relationship than just the violence that you're being subjected to by your partner. She flies into a rage. She gets violent and physical with you. You have to get out of there, which on one occasion you described involved pushing past her and knocking her over. Let's say she ends up with a big bruise. Let's say those altercations get worse. And as is typical in abusive relationships, they get worse. And she calls the cops. Who are the cops going to believe? the much larger male in this relationship with a BDSM component or the smaller submissive girlfriend with the bruises and the history of trauma and victimization. Yeah, probably not you for your own safety. You need to get the fuck out of this relationship, your physical safety for your sanity. You need to get the fuck out of this relationship and you need to get out of this relationship. Now it is a tragedy that she has been abused. Many abusers were abused. That doesn't excuse being abusive. And that doesn't obligate your victim to stick around and continue to be victimized. Your girlfriend needs to go get help. Your soon-to-be, hopefully, ex-girlfriend needs to go get help. She needs a therapist, not a punching bag. Get out. End it. Pack your shit up and go. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 26-year-old female calling from London. Um, I'm just calling in regards to a friend of mine at the moment. He's in an abusive relationship with um, a girl I used to be friends with before, you know, realizing she was not very sane. So uh, last night he messaged me at three in the morning asking if he could stay the night because he'd gone for two drinks with a friend and she's absolutely lost her mind, um, destroyed their TV, smashed everything in their house, their PlayStation, had painted all over their sheets with permanent marker, had poured liquor on his clothes. When he got to my house, his shirt was ripped and hanging off him. You know, it was three in the morning, so I didn't talk about it with him then. I just got some bedding and put him to sleep. Um, and I messaged him today and he said they were working it out. Um, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. But, um, another time when he, he'd been at my house and at two in the morning, she showed up and tried to climb my balcony to get access to my house because we weren't opening the door. She's frightened me on many occasions. She's frightened my friend. I'm just really worried for him at the moment because I think he thinks that this is a normal relationship or, you know, kind of normal conflict. 
and it's really confusing him because he's he can't reconcile the two sides of her, you know, the charming side of her and then the dangerous side of her. And I'm just not really sure um, where I stand. He used to have feelings for me and that's been a point of contention with her for a long time. And I just feel like if any advice I give him regarding this will seem biased and unwelcome and not my place. So I'm not sure. Do I, I'm not sure if I speak to his parents or, or something. I, from what I understand, I think they have quite a good impression of this girl. They they like her, but I'm not sure they have any idea of how she does behave. Yeah, it would be really great if you could let me know what I do. It's important to note that most victims of domestic violence are women. There are, however, male victims of domestic violence. A CDC study published in 2010 found that one in three women, 35.6%, were subjected to violence by an intimate partner. That same study found that one in four men, 28.5% in the United States, also uh, subjected to violence by an intimate partner. According to the stats, the one in three women who were victimized uh, by intimate partner violence, quote, experienced multiple forms of rape, stalking, or physical violence. Male victims experienced physical violence alone, typically, with only 6.3% experiencing physical violence and stalking. So, there are more female victims of domestic violence and the domestic violence that women are subjected to tends to be more severe. Just wanted to toss that out there since we've had two calls in a row now about male victims of domestic violence. I didn't want people to leave with some sort of false impression or to get a sense of a false equivalency. Men are usually the perpetrators of domestic violence, not the victims. Your friend is a victim of domestic violence. Your friend for the time being is choosing, it seems, against your counsel to stay with this woman. If I were in your shoes, I would call in the cavalry. I would speak to his family members. I would speak to other friends. I would stage an intervention. I would also communicate to my friend that our friendship is going to end or go on hiatus as long as he's with this person who is not just targeting him for violence, but also targeting me or you caller crawling up your balcony, breaking into your apartment. So long as she is in his life and he is in your life, she is in your life and her rage her violence is also a risk for you. And if the only way to protect yourself from her is to cut him out of your life so long as he's with her. That is sometimes what people have to do. It's an awful position to be in because one of the weapons that perpetrators of domestic violence use against their victims is isolation. They want to drive off the friends and the family. They want to cut their victims off from support networks. They don't want their victims talking to friends who are going to tell them that they need to leave this person or having good relationships with family who could swoop in and intervene or offer them a place to stay or encourage them to leave or offer them the money they need to leave. And it can feel like you're aiding the abuser when you contribute to the isolation of the victim by saying, hey, as long as you're with this person, I can't have you in my life. And it's galling because you are. You are aiding the abuser by contributing to the isolation of the victim. You should have an explicit conversation about that with your friend when you tell him you can't hang with him right now, that he can't run to your apartment to hide from his girlfriend right now because you don't want to be her victim too. And sometimes that is the epiphany. And rather than contributing to their isolation, that 
helps your friend see what's going on, what being in this relationship is costing them, and it inspires them to get the fuck out of the relationship. You tell someone you can't see them because their partner is violent and you fear their partner and you think that they should leave their partner and you're being targeted for violence too and therefore – and your friend says, oh my god, OK, right, help me. Then don't run away. Then help. Then do everything you can to help your friend extricate themselves from that relationship even if it incurs some risk. Do you have a right to say to someone, as long as you're with this toxic, violent person, we can't be friends right now. We can't hang out. The risk to you is tremendous. And the risk to me is not as large but unacceptable. Sorry you're in this position. I'm sorry that your friend is in this position. Call in the cavalry. Speak to his family. Speak to other friends. Speak to him. And if he chooses to stay with this person against your sound counsel, you have to pull the plug on this friendship for the time being. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old straight woman from the Midwest, and I was raised very Catholic. I have a lot of family members that are still very Catholic, and I consider myself, like, I don't know. I don't want to say a lukewarm Catholic, but, you know, I love being an ally for gay rights. And I just don't agree with everything that the Catholic Church says. But since I've been in college, I haven't been in like a big relationship, but I have been like masturbating. You know, that's not the greatest thing to do, I guess, like when you're Catholic. So I told one of my cousins who was very Catholic and she really just shamed me for it. And I just felt really bad about it. And I... You know, I have a view that this is, like, very important about self-expression and, like, knowing myself and, like, being okay, not being in a relationship right now. I just think it's healthy and important. So can you give me some advice on how to, like, explain that to someone who has a different view and how I cannot let that bother me in the future? Because it did. It really bothered me. It felt like I was doing something really wrong. So a long, long time ago, longer than I care to admit or quantify or put an exact number to, I had to look my Catholic mom in the eye and tell her not that I masturbated, which she assumed that all of her sons did, but that I put other men's dicks in my mouth. My mother had a problem with that at first, but she came around in part because I stood my ground, in part because me putting other men's dicks in my mouth was a non-negotiable feature of my adult life and would be a feature of my adult life going forward. And if my mother wanted to be a part of my life, she was going to have to accept that part of me as well. Not tolerate it, not put up with it, not pretend that that wasn't happening, not dwell on it. Parents don't dwell on their, the sex lives of their children. Unpleasant mental images for many straight parents leap immediately to mind when your kids come out to you as gay because, of course, they do. Those unpleasant mental images don't leap to mind when you contemplate your kids being straight because straight is a default setting. Your kids were always straight. Straight isn't just sex. But for a lot of people, particularly 35 years ago, all gay was was sex because gay people didn't get married. They didn't have relationships or families or children. You ran off to be gay because there was a certain kind of sex that you wanted to have that disqualified you from all those things. Not the case anymore because we fought and screamed and yelled and made demands and made change. Progress. So here's my advice to you as someone who 35 years ago had to tell mom, I put dicks in my mouth, 
Stand your ground. This is a non-negotiable feature. You masturbate. I have lots of cousins. I'm from a huge Catholic family. I have 8 billion cousins. We typically, when we run into each other, don't talk about how and when and whether we masturbate. So not sure how this came up or whether it needed to come up, but after it came up and your cousin sex shamed you, slut shamed you for masturbating, the correct response was, ha, 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 fuck off. That was what you should, that should have been the end of the conversation. Masturbation is healthy. It's natural. It's why our arms are so long. If God didn't really want us to masturbate, maybe we'd look a bit more like Tyrannosaurus rexes and our arms wouldn't reach our junk and we'd have to hump pillows or banisters or whatever else. But no, our arms are nice and long. In fact, they reach just about everywhere we need them to go. And you need to masturbate. It's important for partnered sex. You should, if you want to continue to talk about masturbation with your cousin, you could tell her that knowing your own body, that knowing what feels good is going to put you in a position that when you do partner with someone, when you do get married, you will be able to help your husband understand how your body works, how to provide you with pleasure because you will be able to show him because you know yourself well enough to show him what works and that you will have as a consequence of you masturbating a stronger sexual bond because you're less likely to have sexual disconnect, sexual problems. You're likelier to find pleasure in each other successfully. If you know what pleasure feels like and looks like and you can show him per our call earlier. So yeah, from one Catholic to another, I'm a pretty fucking Catholic Catholic. Dad was a deacon. Mom was a lay minister. I went to a seminary, thought about being a priest. Pretty fucking Catholic, my family. At 15, I was ready to 16. I was ready to tell mom about the dicks in my mouth thing and stand my ground. You are an adult and we are talking about a cousin and cousins. unlike mother's are disposable. You can cut a cousin out of your life pretty easily. And I would encourage you to do just that. A mom, you have to work on a mom. You have to bring around mom. I had to have lots of conversations with about the gay thing because I loved her and I knew that she loved me and we could get past it and that she would one day accept it. A cousin, a cousin who had a problem with me being a cocksucker. I wouldn't go to a lot of effort to talk that cousin out of it. I would laugh at that cousin and go talk to my other cousins who aren't assholes or homophobes. I would encourage you to do the same. Brush off your cousin. Go talk to your other cousins who aren't masturbatophobes. And I'm hoping you have some. And as one of the tech-savvy at-risk youth just pointed out to me, odds are high that your cousin is a masturbator herself. Odds are high when you meet a religious person who condemns you for your own private sexual choices that you didn't really need to tell them about in the first place and they just obsess about it and blow up about it that they are externalizing an internal conflict that your cousin is punishing you for her sins because she not only masturbates but feels terrible about it and wants you to feel terrible about it too you are not obligated to feel terrible about it because your cousin is a twat phobic mess scared of her own pussy Scared of her capacity for pleasure. Her God, if you believe in the creator, God-given capacity to experience sexual pleasure partnered or solo. Stop wasting time angsting about what your cousin thinks about your masturbatory routines. And one last bit of advice from the gay coming out experience. I tell this to queer kids all the time. 
Don't fear your family's rejection. Make them fear yours. Applies to your cousin too. And you straight masturbating girl applies there too. She's judging you and being angry and rejecting you because you masturbate. If you take that in, if that works, she's going to keep at it. If you tell her, look, drop it or I'm never talking to you again, which is an option. And she values the relationship that she has with you. She'll fucking drop it. If she doesn't drop it, fuck her, block her, avoid her at funerals and weddings and wherever else you encounter your crazy Catholic sex phobic cousin. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29 year old female calling from the Twin Cities and I have a slight problem. I tend to be sexually submissive and I also find myself attracted to men who also tend to be sexually submissive. Right now, I've been dating a wonderful guy for a few months and recently was very excited to find out that he's interested in exploring his kinky side. I have a little more experience than he does, but not much, and this is something we'd really like to explore together. Unfortunately, I was dismayed to find out that he is also more interested in being the submissive one. I absolutely want to keep seeing this man and exploring this together, so I was wondering if you have any tips for how two subs can find their dominant sides together and learn how to access both of those energies and take care of each other sexually. It's something of a cliche in BDSM land that most tops, most of the people out there doing the tying up and the spanking and the ordering around are frustrated bottoms that they are doing with someone that which they wish someone would do with them. And this doesn't make these tops worse tops. Often it makes them better tops because they have a bottoms imagination and a bottoms perspective on the things that they are doing as the top. So I'd encourage you and this new guy that you're dating who is interested in kink and interested in BDSM, but also submissive to take turns topping to switch it up. You also have the option of getting involved in the organized kink scene and finding tops who'd like to top a submissive couple. And there are plenty of those out there. And many of them are, yes, frustrated bottoms who enjoy very much topping and doing with couples and doing two couples things that they wish that couple would do to them. Hi, my name is Savannah. I'm from the Northeast and I have a serious problem. So I guess I would describe myself as a unicorn, you know, someone that's really interested in a threesome with another couple. So I've been kind of looking and experimenting and I don't know what's the best way to do it. Like, do I use an app? I mean, my friend was just telling me about OkCupid versus Tinder, but I kind of want to meet them naturally. So now here's my dilemma. Is it someone that I know or is it someone that I don't know? I don't know. I just, I really just want this to happen and I've been waiting for it for so long. And okay, I have to go now, but thank you for your help. According to a recent study from the American Sociological Review, meeting online is the second most common way for straight couples to meet. The top way, but falling and will soon be overtaken by online meeting is through friends. Same-sex couples, 70% meet online, meet through dating apps. There's nothing unnatural about meeting through apps. You have the option of getting online. If waiting for it to happen in real life because there just happens to be a couple in a bar somewhere and you happen to run into them and the 
subject of unicorns happens to come up and they happen to be interested in a unicorn and you happen to be interested in being not just a unicorn but their unicorn, okay, the odds of that happening are really long. You can better your odds by not just being open to running into a couple someday somewhere out there in the world that want a third and want you as their third and you wish to be their third by getting online by using OkCupid, by using apps specifically for unicorns and for couples seeking other partners. Nothing unnatural about it. Meeting online, literally everybody is doing it. Hey, Dan. This is Allison. Um, I'm a 29-year-old straight woman. I'm calling because I've started this kind of vague dating slash fuck buddy relationship with my sort of shy, sort of awkward upstairs neighbor. And the problem is that I, for what feels like the millionth time, I think I'm sort of like the clandestine side woman. My neighbor and I are not monogamous. He's dating multiple people. I don't have a problem with that at all. But, you know, he's got a picture up on his Facebook page of him nuzzling some girl and that's fine, except that somehow I'm like, I'm never the nuzzly. I'm never the person people date, you know? I'm like, I'm never the girlfriend. I'm always sort of like the woman people want to like fuck and go out with and have like a secret, interesting side deal with. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in a way, that's like a very comfortable role for me. It feels sort of natural at this point and I'm I'm pretty independent and I travel a lot so in a way I, I almost lean towards those relationships I guess but at the same time I don't like being cut out of the whole other side of the lives of the people I fuck you know like I'm never the person who gets invited to potlucks or weddings or dinners with family or weekends away. I'm always the like last minute call. <laughs> and I just, I want to know what you think I'm doing wrong. I like to say that there's no settling down without some settling for what I'm about to say next may sound as if it's in conflict with that statement, but it really isn't. Okay. Caller, there's what you've been willing to settle for, which is the fuck buddy and the piece on the side. And there's what you want, which is to be the piece and not the piece on the side, to not be the fuck buddy, but to be the girlfriend or the partner or the wife. And you have to ask for what you want. You have to put that out there. You have to say, I'm looking for a relationship. And for now, I'm only interested perhaps in having sex with someone who is also interested in having a relationship with me. No more fuck buddies. Because getting what you want sometimes means refusing to settle and allowing yourself to ache, lack, want, not have, because if you're being the fuck buddy, that's going to eat up a lot of bandwidth, hopefully eat up a lot of pussy too, hopefully your fuck buddies are paying attention to you, but it's going to eat up a lot of just emotional and sexual bandwidth where you're not available to someone who might want a sex with you, but also a relationship with you because you have one or two or three or four fuck buddies who are taking up all of your time and eating up all of your pussy. But if there's nobody in your life because you've rejected the fuck buddies and you're prioritizing only being intimate with, being sexual with someone who maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't work out, but who is also interested in a lasting, long-term committed relationship and 
you know, in the early stages of a relationship, auditioning you for that part as you are auditioning them for that part. Sometimes you have to create a vacuum in your sexual life, in your romantic life, so that the person that you want, the person that you need, gets sucked in. If there's a whole bunch of people already sucked in who don't want what you want, who aren't going to give you what you need long term, there's not going to be enough pressure there, enough suction there to pull in the guy who wants what you want, who wants that relationship. So my advice to you, my prescription for you is to stop being the fuck buddy. Even though it's convenient, you're busy, you travel, it's not making you happy. You don't want to be the piece on the side. It is possible to be busy and travel for work or pleasure or whatever else, be out of town a lot, and have a committed relationship with someone. That is a thing that you can do. It's a thing you're less likely to do if when you're home, you're fucking fuck buddies. If when you're home, you're out there online, but also out there in real life, going out with friends, looking for that guy and not willing to settle for now for the fuck buddies that you've been settling for in the past, you're likelier to actually find the guy who wants what you want, who wants you the way you want to be wanted. We're going to take a quick break from the calls to speak with a guest about a topic that's come up pretty recently here on the Lovecast and is much discussed out there in the world. Nicole Mazio is a sex educator from Boston and the creator of Pleasure Pie, a sex positive sex ed organization. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hi, thank you. So uh, quickly, tell us about Pleasure Pie. So Pleasure Pie is an alternative sex education organization. So we make mostly zines and illustrations about topics like consent, body acceptance, alternative relationships, things like that. And we also have workshops and other publications and events. It's nice to know that zines are still a thing and that people are still out there making them. Uh, you know, as somebody who 30 years ago was uh, encountering a lot of like terrific writing and terrific illustrations and comics and zines, I love that the form is still there and people are still uh, creating new zines. And I, I, I invited you to come on the show because I ran across one of your zines and I fell in love with it. Uh, the name of it is The Art of the Solicited Dick Pick. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited that you liked it. <laughs> yeah, so this is a zine that I made um, recently upon receiving a dick pic that I loved. A solicited uh, dick It was pic. one of the... A solicit. Yes, I asked for it um, <laughs> from a partner, and um, and received it, and just was like enjoying it so much. Uh, like it's a photo of my partner, and it's sexy, and it's personal. Um, and so then, as I was like in the glow of receiving it for a couple of days, I ended up having sort of like just a lot of thoughts about dick pics um, mm -hmm. and scribbling them all down in my journal, which eventually became the scene. Well, what I love about it is it, 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 you know, we hear about dick pics. People talk about dick pics as if dick pics are always unwelcome. I get calls. I get emails from people saying who would ever want a dick pic? And there you are. You got a dick pic. You wanted it. I get those questions from people who talk about dick pics like they are never a good idea, never welcomed, uh, never received with joy or pleasure. And I've thought about, you know, the dick pics that have come into my life that were welcomed and solicited and wanted that I enjoyed. And I was really happy to, to, to read your zine. There are nine steps you lay out in the art of the solicited dick pic. And what I really loved about it is step one is everything you need to know. Step one is – would you unpack step one for people and then I'll talk about steps two through nine? Sure. So step one is receive a request for a photo of your penis. And so it talks about – 
how you might receive a request. And things it's things like being nice to people, like genuinely nice to people, making connections, um, and some kind of like joking stuff like befriend people who take an interest in your penis. Um, <laughs> but but it also is it also talks about consensual dick text too, for those of you who might not want to wait around to receive a request. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you say if receiving a request seems unrealistic or you might not get it, or you just want to be more proactive, you can try asking someone who you already have a sexual relationship with if they'd like to see a nude photo of you. Go figure. Exactly, yeah. A lot of partners will will actually want to see you in an eroticized way and see your body and have that to carry around with them. And what I love about your zine and where I think you just nail the sex positivity, you deal with the problem with the unsolicited dick pic uh, implicitly in this is how you send one that's wanted. Like make sure it's wanted. Communicate with your partner. Inquire as to whether they would want to receive a nude photo of you or a photo of your dick. And then the next eight steps are get sexy, find decent lighting, get creative, get snapping, choose a photo, edit your photo, and send. The next eight steps are celebrating the dick pic and really aiding people in taking the best possible dick pic that they have. You know, there's a lot... I I expected when I saw the cover, like, uh, this is going to be a lot of how dare you and don't and then maybe. But if somebody wants your pic, go ahead, you can send them your dick pic. But no, you're like, consent, you lead with consent, and the rest of it is really supportive of someone who wishes to take a good pic of his or her dick and and the best possible pick of his or her dick to share. And I just thought that that was so refreshing. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, for me, I am a penis enthusiast <laughs> and I think that I'm not alone in that. Yeah, you, maybe um, you and I should start and, a support group for penis enthusiasts. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, but I think that a lot of times in feminism, in feminist circles, you hear mostly the frustration because there are so many people out there who so many men, especially who are sending unwanted things, being Mm -hmm. overly aggressive. But then in my personal life, I tend to not be close with men like that. I tend to know a lot of men who are being very careful to be respectful of women and people of other genders. And then they will be nervous about things like sending a dick pic or other forms of sexual expression because they really don't want to be that guy who is the creepy, right. like sexual predator type of guy. And if they've heard and they've heard nothing about dick pics except you know the conversation about them that makes any and all dick pics sound unwelcome, that can make a guy who whose partner might enjoy receiving a dick pic may have even asked for a dick pic hesitate to send them. And your zine really shifts the focus to. Consent, which is always and everywhere the magic ingredient. If it's a consensual, welcomed, wanted dick pic, it's not creepy. We talk about dick pics as if they're all creepy because so many of them are, perhaps even the vast majority of them are, and or maybe the vast majority of complaints about them are because people who get dick pics they wanted to get don't take to Twitter or Tumblr to complain about the dick pic they wanted to get. They receive the dick pic that they wanted to get with joy and they don't grouse on the internet about it. So a lot of the conversation on the internet is going to be about the unwanted ones. And that can distort our impression of dick pics. Right. I think sometimes we don't talk enough about the positive sexual experiences we're having. You just blew my mind. You can't see, but I'm in my studio (laughs) going, making the mind blown gesture with my hands coming apart from my skull because my brain is exploding. We don't talk enough about pleasure and the successful 
sexual encounters we might have, even if they're just online with people we were never going to meet in real life. Uh, we have a lot of successful sexual encounters. There are a lot of successful sexual encounters in the world. We need to talk about sexual violence. We need to talk about non-consensual shit and harassment and all of those things to end them. But it might be nice every once in a while if we took a moment to celebrate what people are doing that works and is right and creates pleasure and joy in our lives. And I'm, I'm kind of saying this to myself too because on this show, you know, people call in about their problems. They don't call in about their successes. Maybe we should do a success show. That would be awesome. Yeah, I think that we talk a lot about what's going wrong, um, which is obviously important, but then we leave people without examples for how to do things right or how to do things well. Um, so talking about positive experiences, I I don't like seeing like the bragging about positive experiences. That feels like it's coming from a place of insecurity and it, it just makes everyone else feel worse, I think. Um, but, but just having like genuine sharing joy and sharing about things that you like um, or positive ways to approach sexuality, I think can be really helpful as an example. I think so too. Tell people where they can find Pleasure Pie and the art of the successful dick pic. Yes. So you can go to pleasurepie.org um, online and on there, there will be a link to our Etsy shop, which has the art of the solicited dick, dick pic and a bunch of other zines. It's just called shop on the um, menu. Nicole Mazio from Boston, founder of Pleasure Pie. Thank you so much. And, and again, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed uh, the art of the solicited dick pic. I said successful dick pic earlier. The art of the solicited dick pic. It's terrific. And anybody out there who's gotten a dick pic that wasn't welcome, who's in contact with the person that sent them that dick pic, you might want to get this scene and pop it in the mail to that person. Nicole Mazio, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Dan. I'm a bisexual female Magnum subscriber, Carling from T Toronto. I've been in a relationship with my boyfriend for almost four years now. Uh, I'm not a very social person. Uh, I'm a complete introvert and a homebody. I don't go out much to meet new people. A couple of days ago, I was having kind of impulsive sexual thoughts about other men, which I usually do. And I thought I would open a Tinder account to just look at real Torontonian men, probably not even like them or message them, just to look at them. This account was active for maybe four to five minutes. And then I closed the account because I felt very guilty. I told my boyfriend about this, not necessarily because I wanted him to know, but because I love challenging people's thoughts and I wanted to know what he thought about this. I, I love doing this, these kind of, having these kinds of conversations with my partner, especially. Um, he got very upset at me and he told me it's very unacceptable for a partner to do this. And he told me that if people uh, encounter other attractive people in real life and they flirt a little bit, that's acceptable. But if you go and actively open a hookup account, uh, Tinder account, that's not acceptable. And he told me that the reason that young people are having failed relationships these days is mostly because they just start, you know, start a Tinder account and just jump on these dating and hookup apps. And uh, these, this causes a lot of relationship problems. And I told him that um, I think that most problems in relationships nowadays is that people are more empowered and uh, they feel more free and they want to meet more of their needs, but their communication skills haven't progressed as much as the other needs to be empowered and to meet, meet their desires and acknowledge them. So my question for you is that basically, what do you think about this? Who do you think is right 
because he's very upset at me and he's telling me if I want an open relationship, which honestly I don't. And that wasn't why I opened this kind of conversation with him. Uh, It's just very frustrating for me. Whether or not all of these apps are causing problems in people's relationships generally, it's causing problems in your relationship specifically. Your boyfriend is universalizing his insecurities and his anger and upset at what you did by claiming that this is a problem for everyone. What he's telling you is it's a problem for him. And it is if it's a problem for him. That's the conversation that you two need to have. Way, 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 way back before dating apps, sometimes people would wander into pickup joints or to bars. They'd be out with friends or out after work and flirt. A little harmless flirting, maybe a little temptation, but in a controlled and contained space that they're going to exit and go home. And ideally, they're going to take the the energy and the affirmation of their sexual attractiveness home and fuck the shit out of their partners and feel energized, erotically energized and take that erotic energy home and their partner will benefit from the innocent flirting and small bore temptation that all unbeknownst to them, their loving partners tapped into at the bar earlier that night with friends from work or at the club where they went to see a show with friends that their partners didn't want to see and none's the wiser and no harm done. Even though you went out, had a drink, flirted with some stranger, encountered perhaps a temptation, but you went home. I don't see much difference between partnered people wandering into a bar and getting their flirt on a little bit and running home and their partners benefiting from that erotic energy that they were charged up with at that bar and getting on a dating app and swapping a couple of photographs and having a convo. However, you have to acknowledge that being on the dating app and having that convo is a greater temptation because you have a way to find that person, to reconnect with that person. Some stranger you had a brief conversation with in a bar and you didn't exchange phone numbers, never going to see that person again. Odds are you're never going to see that person again. Some stranger you have a conversation with via a dating app and you've swapped a couple of photographs and a couple hours went by and you had an enormous and revealing conversation with that person, you can feel a real connection there. There is temptation. And I think it's more pronounced in apps. So your boyfriend is right, I think, to feel a little bit concerned. And it's your responsibility to address his concerns, to tell him that this is like you walking into a bar 20 years ago if you guys were older and flirting with some stranger and then going home to him and feeling sexually charged up and affirmed and sexy for him. Sometimes we need not just the approval of our partners who – we get into this headspace where we feel, you know, our partner's going to tell us our, that we're sexy because they have to. And you doubt whether they're being honest with you. But some stranger who doesn't know you from Adam that you're never ever going to see again who tells you you're sexy must be true. You must be. Right? So tell your boyfriend that that's what it was. little innocent flirtation, a way for you as an introvert to walk into a bar, feel a little charged up, feel affirmed, feel sexy, and then jump on him. When he gets home and tell him that he's free to do the same, get on a dating app every once in a while, create an account, have a quick convo, delete it after. But if you hesitate to tell him the same, you hesitate to tell him that what you did is okay for him to do too. And there might be more to your risk taking and temptation seeking than you've admitted to him or to me. Hi, Dan, Nancy and tech savvy Alice Keith. I'm a cisgendered, bisexual, polyamorous woman, and more recently, for about the past six months, a fun sex operator. 
I have questions about how to do my job in an emotionally sustainable way. My main challenges are recovering from mentally scarring calls more quickly, keeping my sexual identity from being diluted or occluded, and keeping myself emotionally fed in a way that can keep up with the day-in, day-out kind of emotional drain. I think the answers lie in more effective boundaries and self-care slash aftercare, but I could use some guidance. I've researched self-care for sex workers, nurses, and nurses and other caring professionals, and I'm not finding the advice very helpful. Bubble baths and yoga ain't going to do it. Um, I'm calling for those examples. Okay. So in general, I really enjoy the job a lot. But like an example of a terrible call is a guy calling in to tell me he raped a girl Mm. and a bunch of girls cut his balls off and his penis is shrunk. And what do I think of that? And he did, he deserved that just for raping a girl. And I hope you said yes. So I did actually, which is probably (laughs) what he wanted to hear and what he was fantasizing about. I think so. And they're generally, I know they're not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, I can sort of tell by now, Mm -hmm. but it's tough. It's tough to get back on the phone, but it's not like the normal kinks that squeak people out. I don't, those are not a problem for me. Well, yeah, the anonymity. It's of a, really intense things like that. Right. The anonymity of a phone sex service is going to attract a lot of people who have fantasies they can share with no one else except a stranger that isn't yeah. going to judge them and is actually being paid not to judge them, but paid to play along. Seems to me that the it's not self care after the fact, but pre care that you need to engage. Okay. With. And you say, how do I set more effective boundaries? Talk to your employer about there being calls that you aren't comfortable fielding and can't, not handle, but you're not going to be able to give the caller what they want. You're not going to be able to provide the service that this person is paying for because there are fantasies that you can't tap into, that you can't play Mm -hmm. along with, that you can't entertain. You're an entertainer. Mm -hmm. This This isn't a gig. This isn't a show a performance that you can do. And so instead of being traumatized in the wake of a call that goes to a very dark place, is there a way for you with your employer's help or acquiescence to opt out of these calls in advance? There's no way for me to opt out in advance. I'm uh, basically like a a contractor or Mm self-employed. So they don't go through anybody before they come to me. Right. And are you allowed to say, Hey, (laughs) no, bye. Can't. Yeah, that I can do. I can hang up on anybody. Well, it's I would. Inc- by the time they've told me something, I'm like. <laughs> do you have Do you have a moment with the caller before you guys launch into the session where you can set some ground rules and articulate your boundaries? Um, that may attract some guys who want to violate your stated boundaries. Where you may say, "I don't talk mm-hmm. about this, this, or this," and then they spring it on you anyway. But you have mm-hmm. the, the option then of ending the call. Are you allowed to say? Could you say? You know, if you're an independent contractor and the calls are directed right to you, can you say? Uh, hey, it's nice to meet you. You know, quick program note: I don't do violence, and I don't do assault or non-consensual fantasy or rape or murder. So I that's what you're interested definitely in. Do that at the beginning of the hang up and call somebody program. else. I can do that. I can also put it in my profile. Do it. Put it in your profile. Weed your garden. I will. <laughs> 
I would also right. encourage you to to remember, even if some people spring this on you, uh, you know that that's an asshole move, and, and you're right to be pissed if somebody springs this on you. You know, you are a, a phone sex provider. You're you're a sex worker of a, a of a sort. You're allowed to have boundaries. Sex workers are allowed to have boundaries. There are things that you are allowed to say. I don't do when you're a sex worker. Uh, but if somebody violates your boundaries, you know, if you're in person in the room sex worker and somebody violates your boundaries, that's sexual assault. Uh, that's rape. One of the reasons we want to decriminalize sex work is the sex workers who are violated in that way can go to the authorities without them being prosecuted themselves, without fear of being prosecuted themselves. But in your instance, if somebody just blurts something out that you didn't want to hear, what they're telling you is that there are some really fucked up jerky people in the world, not just people with these incredibly dark fantasies and nobody picks their kinks. Nobody picks their kinks on right. purpose, right? But people who will violate someone's boundaries. And I think you should focus on that. That Rather than like that person is interested in something really dark and disturbing, which isn't news. You're an adult. That's not news to you. There are people out there who are aroused yeah. by really dark and disturbing scenarios. Focus instead on there are people out there who don't respect other people's boundaries and you get to hang up on those people. Yeah. You have power in that moment. You can terminate the yeah. call. So you're not helpless. You know, sometimes I think people reel after something like what you describe because they feel powerless. And I just want to emphasize to you your power, that you're not powerless. And you should accept, yeah. as an adult, some people have really fucked up fantasies and, and think about really <laughs> fucked up things. And our minds are, are our own and we can think about whatever we want to think about. You know, somebody made the Saw movies and Hostel. Sure. Right? There are people out there with really fucked yeah. up inner lives. And sometimes they subject other, I, you know, I wouldn't go see Hostel or, or a Saw movie or a, a slasher movie. I hate them. But I know that they yeah, exist. Yeah, torture porn. Right, torture porn. I know it exists. I don't dwell on it. You are an adult. You know that there are people out there with these fucked up fantasies and they exist. Don't dwell on it. Okay. Dwell on your power. You don't have to interact with these people. You can hang up on them and add that to your profile. Please, today, now, go add that to your profile. Happy to talk about this, 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 and this. If you're looking to talk about this, call somebody else. I'm not, I don't do X, Y, Z calls. Yes, I absolutely will. Thank you. You're welcome. I got to say again, though, that seeing that in your profile, I don't do X, Y, Z, that is going to attract the occasional X, Y, Z-er who wants to spring it on you to be an asshole. So when that happens, please don't be mad at me and please don't get into a spiral of, oh, no, of, of despair not. or please don't allow yourself to become as upset as the calls have made you in the past by, again, focusing on your power. You have the power to terminate the call. Hang up on the asshole and don't dwell on it. Absolutely. Good luck. Thank you. Hi, Dan. I am a 28-year-old female and my question is about the female orgasm. Throughout my life, I have only ever experienced orgasm through penetrative sex. It can be in any position so long as I control the rhythm and the speed. Um, so long as there's penetration, I come every time I have sex. And if I want to, I can come very quickly in 30 seconds or a minute. I can continue having sex and come again, although each subsequent orgasm is more challenging to achieve. So this sounds wonderful, right? Um, the thing is that I have never orgasmed from cunnilingus. I've been with the same person for three years, and they're very GGG. 
Um, they go down on me and it feels really good. Although at times it can be too much stimulation and it almost feels like electricity is being applied to my clit. I feel like I'm missing out on the female orgasm. I would like to experience orgasm through cunnilingus. And I was wondering if you have any advice on how I could achieve this. Clits and dicks are made out of the same stuff. It might help you to watch some of the different ways in which men masturbate. Some men masturbate and they pay a lot of attention to the head or they provide a lot of direct stimulation to the glands, the head of the penis. Their fist is really working the glands. Other guys masturbate and they're just working the shaft. They're not really even touching the head of their penis because the head of their penis for some guys is too sensitive and direct stimulation to the head of the penis is unpleasant, painful even. And so those guys masturbate without touching the head of the penis. Sounds like you're the kind of woman, you are the kind of woman, it doesn't sound like you are the kind of woman where direct stimulation to your clitoris is too intense. However your nerve endings are bundled together in your clitoris or however they're wired into your brain, direct stimulation too intense. You need clitoral stimulation that's indirect. Just like the guy who is masturbating, is stroking his cock and is providing some indirect stimulation to the head of his penis, some incidental stimulation. When you have penetrative intercourse, you are stimulating your clitoris. All of your orgasms are clitoral orgasms, but you're stimulating it indirectly. The clitoris also isn't just the glands, not just the exposed bit. You have clitoral wings, really clitoral roots. If you Google the clitoris and you look at an image of the entire organ, it's massive and it spreads into your body and the wings, the root of it really runs along in some women, the vaginal canal. There are abdominal muscles that are layered over and behind it. So the more movement you get down there, the more indirect clitoral stimulation you obtain. We talk constantly about the fact that 75% of women can't climax from vaginal penetration alone because it doesn't provide them with the intense focused clitoral stimulation that they need in order to come, which requires engaging the glands, the, the head of the clitoris, the exposed bit of the clitoris. Well, 25% of women can come from vaginal penetration alone because it is providing them with incidental clitoral stimulation. It's hitting the root. It's hitting the wings. It's hitting the rest of the clitoris and – the motion is engaging just enough of the glands perhaps as well to push them past the point of orgasmic inevitability and get them off. There's nothing wrong with the way your body works. This is how your clit goes. This is what you need. Penetrative sex that you are in control of the depth and the speed. You're really getting yourself off with that person's dick, with your partner's cock when it's inside you. And you know exactly what you need to do. You know exactly how you need to move and how deep you need to go to come. And that's a wonderful thing to know how to do. There's a lot of women we've been talking about on the show today. A lot of women who don't know how to do that, don't know how to get themselves there. You know how to get yourself there. You know what works and what doesn't work. So you can't come from oral. All right. There's some guys who can't come from having their dicks sucked. Not defective. It's just the way their dicks work. It sounds like this is quote-unquote problem has caused you some distress, but I would put this in the not-a-problem file. You view it as a problem, but you need to look at it differently. This is a success story, not a defect or problem story. You know how it works and you know what works for you, at least at the moment. Roll with it. Run with it. Don't be ashamed of it. This is how your pussy works. 
Good for you. A lot of women out there haven't quite figured that out yet. You know. That's a real advantage. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a late 20s straight woman from the East Coast, and I have a bit of a dilemma. So my sister is a few years older than me, and I'm in love with her husband. Her husband also loves me back. They've been together almost a decade, and over the years, me and him have become best friends. He's my number one best friend to this day, and about a year ago, we professed our love to each other. We haven't had sex, but we've kissed on many occasions, and there's been some light fondling. Anytime he's tried to take it further, I've shot him down because I love my sister very much and don't want to make the situation any worse than it already is. My sister has no idea, and me and her husband have agreed not to tell a soul, but it's starting to really eat away at me. I go talk to a therapist about it, but unfortunately, I'm not well enough, well off enough financially. I really don't want to lose either of them. So I guess, Dan, my question is, do you have any advice for me on how to handle my situation? Yeah, this one we would stuff immediately into, that's a problem file. This is a fucking problem. The solution isn't counseling or therapy. A therapist is going to tell you to do what I'm going to tell you to do, which is to get the fuck away from your sister's husband, to stay the fuck away from your sister's husband. There are 4 billion-ish other men on the face of the earth. There is some other dude out there that you can feel as strongly about as you feel about your sister's husband. The myth of the one sometimes prompts people to pine after or chase after someone they can't have because that person is unavailable or because having that person will blow up their lives, the person that they want, their life too, the person that person is currently with, their life, their kids if they have kids, their lives. And when you're in a situation like that, sometimes the best thing to do is just acknowledge that this hurts and it sucks, but you will not lead a loveless life. You will not have a life without passion. If you go out there and try to find someone who already isn't married to your sister, which is most of the 4 billion men on the planet right now, most of them, nearly all of them aren't married to your sister. Go chase after one of them. There are two dynamics at play here that I think you would benefit from considering. First, you're in the infatuation stage. Infatuation is a spell. And the fastest way to break that spell is to fall under someone else's spell. Once again, I'm citing the most of the rest of the men on the planet who don't happen to be married to your sister. The other thing to bear in mind is we sometimes want that which we cannot have. And the fact that we can't have it makes it more desirable. And then once we have that thing that we couldn't have because we break our sister's heart because we violate taboos because we just go get it. Suddenly we see it clearly for the first time. And we realize that what we got is someone who would leave his sister for her sister. What we got was something that isn't as bright and shiny or wonderful as we thought it was. So go find somebody else and tell yourself when you're just rolling on those MDMA-like feelings of infatuation for your sister's husband, that it's not rational. Those feelings aren't entirely rational. What's making them more intense is the impossibility of it. Sometimes we regard what's impossible as more romantic. The course of true love ne'er did run smooth. 
The more obstacles in our path, the more hurdles we have to clear, even impossible ones, can make the object of our desire seem that much more desirable by dint of its very unobtainability. But once we're aware of that, if we tell ourselves that, when we're overwhelmed by those feelings, we can reframe them. We can come to a new understanding. We can contain them and compartmentalize them and be in charge of them. Even if we allow ourselves a wallow or a masturbate every once in a while, we can be in charge of them rather than allowing them to be in charge of us. And we can prevent them from blowing up our lives and the lives of people around us. Hi there. I'm actually calling in response to the most recent show with Sarah Silverman about little kids putting stuff in their butts. I have a five-year-old and our rule at home is that he can put his fingers in his butt in the bathtub. Bathtub is the place to play with your butt. And if he wants to diddle with his penis, he's free to do that in the privacy of the bedroom. But butt play is always for the bathtub where his hands will be clean, his butt will be clean, and it's just a safe place to explore. But nothing but fingers go in the butt. Hi, this is a comment for the woman in episode 587 who was having trouble after her kid was breastfeeding with her husband touching her breasts. And I'm here to tell you after three children that you can totally get that back. You are just so, so overtouched um, when your kids are little and breastfeeding and just all over you. And you just don't want to be touched to that much anymore during sex. So anyway, you can get it back. It's just temporary. You and your husband are both paying a price right now, and it will be over soon. Promise. Hi, I'm calling in regards to episode 587 with the woman who was talking to the 5'6 dom, and I wanted her to know that I am dating a 5'6 foot dom, and I happen to be the same height. He gets that a lot, but he cleverly said to me once the only difference between a 5'6 dom and a six foot dom is he needs a ladder to get on top of the refrigerator. The dominance is there. The control is there. The love is there. He's an amazing guy. Give the five sixers a chance. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. You can also email us your own MP3 recording of your question rather than phoning it in. Just email your MP3s to voicemail at savagelovecast.com. If you like my political rants at the top of the show, you should be listening to Blabbermouth, the Stranger's weekly politics podcast hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders. Me and Eli and Rich Smith gather together every week to kick around the news and have some fun. Join us for Blabbermouth, available wherever finer podcasts are picked. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Nicole Mazio on Twitter at PleasurePie. And follow Todd Starnes on Twitter at Todd Starnes. I can't follow Todd Starnes on Twitter. That alleged unsubstantiated goat filator already blocked me before this week's show. And this week's show, as every week's show, is produced by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. 